Summer drinking season is long, which is why non-alcoholic beer is a great addition to your cooler. But what makes you reach for one NA beer over another? Is it great flavor, variety of styles? Maybe you just like a cool can. Well, no matter what you're looking for in a great non-alcoholic beer, the answer is always athletic. Great flavor, it's athletic. Award-winning styles, it's athletic. Huge variety, guess what? It's athletic. From IPAs, extra dark, sours, hazies, and more, to summertime favorites like light brews and goldens, it's the number one NA beer brand in the U.S. It's athletic. Ask for it. Fit for all times. Enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Think about it. You're hanging out at the beach. Maybe you're going to a music festival, ball game, camping, late night, early morning. Wherever the summer takes you, the best part is zero hangover the next day. This summer, ask for the only non-alcoholic beer you need to know. Athletic. Head to askforathletic.com to find it near you and use the code TA2024 to get 15% off your first online order. That's code TA2024 at checkout for 15% off your first order. Near beer. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company. Fit for all times. The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. MS will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and Tim Spears, your trusted and much-quoted Wolves correspondent for The Athletic. How are you, Tim? Or was that the Manscaped ads, was it? No, hearing your journalism pop up everywhere. Get you in your interviews. Wolves have beaten Leeds 1-0, securing back-to-back wins for the first time since October when they beat Leeds 1-0. It's amazing what can happen when you have an actual shot at goal. Five shots on target in the first half alone against Leeds. What on earth is going on? Can Pedro Neto's mum do the team talk every week, please? Well, talking to Neto, we'll hear from the great man on this very podcast. He did a fantastic interview with our Tim last week. He's a very funny fellow a real character and so is Pedro Neto. We'll also take a closer look at Nelson Semedo's progress and we'll speak to former Wolves inverted winger Matt Jarvis on Wolves inverted wingers. Sign up to The Athletic now and you can pay half the annual subscription. That's less than a pound a week for an entire year, but only until this Thursday, 25th of February. So get in there quickly. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod for your discount and you can listen to this podcast without the adverts, although you'd be probably missing out, wouldn't you, on some of Tim's finest work. You can listen via the app if you don't want the ads. Now, Tim, I'm guessing we know the highlight of your week. Was it either of Wolves wins or was it speaking to Pedro Neto perchance? Um, well, do you know, that's a, t- that's a tough call. I enjoyed all of them. Um, it's nice to be Feeling positive. The season is alive, Bab. The season is not dead. Rumours of its death have been greatly exaggerated. Um, yeah, no, the Neto interview was great and um, feedback's been fantastic and so good that, we ha- that we've got to play some on the, on the, on the pod today. Um, I think people have seen some of, the, some of the screenshots I've put out of just how happy he looks. So they want to kind of hear it a bit for themselves. So yeah, we'll play a couple of clips. But yeah, it's, it's just amazing, A, what a month does in football and B, what a week does because six points and it's on. 
again. It's bizarre, isn't it? Wolves are now 11th in the Premier League, one point behind Arsenal, seven points behind Liverpool and only four points off seventh spot. And interestingly, Tim, they're only two points behind their tally at this stage last season when they were seventh, by the way. But they had Raul Jimenez for all 25 games instead of just nine and a bit games like this season. And there were 38 points behind Liverpool this stage last season, now just seven. I think that says a little bit more about Liverpool than anything else, but it's still interesting. And and if Wolves beat Newcastle away, then they'll have 36 points from 26, which is the exact same number as they had at that stage last season. So as you said, in a month, how things have changed. It was a little bit doom and gloom. It felt that way. Wolves couldn't create. They couldn't keep clean sheets. They'd lost their identity, as Nuno said. I mean, what do you think's been the key to the turnaround? Um, well, I mean, as you say there, to do it without Jimenez is remarkable, really. And if, if we look at the stages of the two seasons, they did go on a really good run at this stage last season, kind of either side of lockdown. I think they got 17 points from eight. So they're going to have to do something like that to kind of keep pace with where they were. But it, like I say, to do that without Jimenez is is fantastic. And I think you've got to put a lot of it down to the formation change, really, in, in recent weeks. We know the troubles they had with, with 4 2 3 one. I mean, in hindsight, it's even more remarkable that he ditched everything that's that's been so good for them in the last two years. We've spoken about it at length, and I know the reasons why, primarily for more goals. But now that you look at them looking almost like themselves again, it is remarkable that that, that he kind of that he ditched that for the new formation. Is it is it that remarkable though? Because we we were advocating it, trying it, because they couldn't score a goal for Toffee. So we can't then criticise and go, "Well, I can't believe he ditched it." After we suggested he ditched it, I remember you floating it for the first time before it had happened. And I was like, I, I really would be amazed if he did it. <laughs> I think he did it a week later. It's definitely my fault. <laughs> um, I was just, I was just so surprised that that he went away from from the shape that that's made them so successful. But like I said, I, I do understand the reasons behind it, but to persevere with it for so long in hindsight now does look like it was you know a month too long because they just they're starting to look like themselves again and um they won't quite look like themselves until uh, Jimenez returns and until Bolly returns as well because they, they are susceptible from defensive set pieces as we saw on Friday night but like I said it's just great to have the season alive again and you look at um the fixtures coming up before the international break they've got a, a tough run of three away games now Newcastle Man City and Villa away followed by Liverpool at home before the break. But at this moment in time, it's a very good time to play Newcastle. It's a good time to play Villa. And it's a good time to play Liverpool as well. And for those teams, it's a bad time to play Wolves. So let's see what they can do before the international break. And then after the international break, I don't want to get too far ahead of themselves, ourselves, but they've got West Ham straight after the break. And then they play five teams in a row who are all in the bottom six, uh, who are Fulham, Sheffield United... Burnley, Baggies and Brighton. So if they can continue this consistency, if you know if Johnny can can get back to full match sharpness, if William Jose can start ch- uh, chipping in with a few goals, and then we're starting to look towards Jimenez's return, I would expect from everything we hear from the club, they're not downplaying the fact that he might be back this season, and they're not downplaying the fact that he's, in, fingers crossed, is enjoying a very good recovery. So you, you you can see some lights at the end of the tunnel here and results went perfectly for them at the weekend in terms of this kind of mid-table race. Only three points behind Spurs, which is just crazy, since Spurs were in a title race until fairly recently. So things things are looking up again. They've got consistency in selection, consistency in performances, and um, and yeah, the season's, season's not over yet. Yeah, so they've got 33 points at the moment and we're talking about them being seven points off seventh 
we are looking up now. Whether yeah, we're being totally. overly optimistic, I don't know. But just explain the situation with European places, just for fun. <laughs> just for fun, right? <laughs> just for the eternal optimists. Are there any? Any of us Wolves fans are eternal optimists? We'll see. It's only the top top five that qualify for Europe in theory, but it almost always ends up being the top seven, um, depending on who wins the two cup competitions. So if, if a team that finishes in the top five wins the... EFL Cup or the FA Cup, then the places start to move down the league. So, um, and obviously Arsenal won the FA Cup last season and finished outside the top six, which is why Wolves didn't qualify for Europe despite finishing seventh. So, um, in terms of Europe, they'll they'll want Man City to win the EFL Cup against Spurs first and foremost. If if Spurs are gonna are gonna finish lower down the table, and then we'll see who wins the FA Cup. But more often than not, seventh in the league gets you Europe. So um, they're not that far off at the moment. It's got you. <laughs> Got to discuss it. You know, they're nowhere near getting dragged into a relegation fight now. They never were really dragged into one. Um, and now they've steadied the ship. They're looking up the table. Yeah, they weren't dragged into one, but they were heading that way. That was the problem with, with around half the season to go. So it, it wasn't where they were. It was the direction of travel that was the problem. But they've gone above Leeds by beating them, just as they did. They went above Saints by beating them. And it's the first time they scored the first goal in a Premier League game in 15 attempts. I know it's been mentioned quite a lot. We brought it up last week, but it is extremely relevant because it's also the first time in eight games at home that Wolves have scored the opening goal in the Premier League. So, I mean, that's nuts. First time since Palace in October. And that positivity just really, really helps Wolves, doesn't it? They're always better when they start on the front foot. They had three shots inside the first 12 minutes. I mean, anybody of a Wolves persuasion was thinking, hey, what's going on? Literally, what is going on with with these actual shots at goal? I mean, opposition goalkeepers usually set their alarms for about 60 to 70 minutes, don't they? They think, all right, I better buck up my ideas now. Wolves might actually have a shot at me. They're fine until then, completely safe. So it was clearly Nuno's team talk, as was explained afterwards. But... Does he normally do that and they just don't listen to him? Or were they just feeling buoyed and confident after that win at Southampton? I think they were. They are a little bit more confident. And I think Leeds' kind of open style kind of played into that. I was expecting Wolves to be a little bit more conservative in their approach. That's what I was expecting, but it was great to see this positivity. And what they offered were, were things that Nuno has been asking for for a while, including shots, intensity, really, and aggression. He's been mentioning that a lot after matches. We're not aggressive enough. And, you know, there was some dodgy defending from set pieces in particular. Rafinha's deliveries were were very problematic. But from open play, Leeds didn't create a huge amount, really. And, yeah, they rode their luck at times, but the the run of the ball hasn't really been with them over the last few weeks, not from what I've seen anyway. It's, it's, It's not the reason that they've been losing games, but... They had the run of the ball against Arsenal. They've had it against Leeds. So, you know, they'll take it. Um, I thought Patricio was outstanding and he made seven saves during the game and also kept a clean sheet. That's the most saves a Wolves keeper has made while keeping a clean sheet in the Premier League since Marcus Hanneman um, 11 years ago. So it shows you how busy he was, but also how well he did to keep that clean sheet. You know, he hasn't bailed them out too many times this season, Patricio, and he's coming for a bit of justified criticism, I think. Not for making too many howlers, but more for not just not saving shots that he probably should do, given he's a goalkeeper of his calibre. But against Southampton uh, in the league, and now against Leeds, he's bailed them out and, and made some really good saves. On that, Tim, I don't want to be negative. Definitely don't want to put a damper on it because absolutely he deserves credit. But just slightly playing devil's advocate for a moment, if any of those shots had gone in, would we have been saying he was poor there? 
I mean, were any of them outstanding saves or were they saves that you would expect a decent Premier League goalkeeper to make? Yeah, no, probably. There was one really good save he made in the second half and he made, I think he made a double save as well at one point as he had done at, at Southampton. So it's, it, they're just not saves that he's necessarily been making this season, a, a couple of them. So they, they did ride their luck a little bit. I mean, Traore's strike is, is unbelievable, but it bounces off the keeper's back and then Bamford's offside call was a bit tight. But like I said, they earned it. They played well. A point would have been a fair result, but who cares? Despite what Victor Orta was saying at full time. Um, it's the three points. Yeah, there. tell us what was happening there. This <laughs> Leeds' director of football. And he was sat on the front row of the director's box. And he just... So Bamford scored. Offside flag went up. And you know when an offside flag goes up these days, it probably is offside because they're so cautious, you know, now with VAR. Anyway, he stood up, he had his mask kind of drooping from his face, so his mask wasn't on properly, and he just yelled the words free kick repeatedly about 15 times, like a madman. He was like, free kick, free kick, free kick, free kick. And obviously you can imagine how quiet the stadiums are these days, so he was all that you could hear. I think I think people could hear him on the telly as well. I don't know what he was going on about, because Bamford had just scored, so what he wanted a free kick for, I don't know. Play hadn't restarted at that point. And then at full time, he was at it again. And someone said he was aiming things in Traore's direction. And again, at the referee. And I think he was talking about time-wasting. Um, but very undignified. He was really screaming his head off again at full time. The stewards have had to add a word with him. But I gather it's par for the course with him. And he's upset quite a few characters this season. But um, certainly, not, certainly not the manner that Wolves carry themselves. You know, you don't see Jeff, Jeff Shee say anything, let alone kind of screaming his head off like that. So, If he did, we'd have a microphone under his nose in no time, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, Jeff, exactly. over here. Apple yeah, words. I mean, you know, they've had... Leeds have had run-ins with Wolves before, so I don't think there's any love lost between the between the two clubs. It is unprofessional, though, Completely. to be doing that. I was at Birmingham City earlier in the season for the Bournemouth game, and all I could hear on the gantry was somebody in the director's box shouting at the referee, screaming about free kicks. Like, because there are no fans in the ground, you can hear it so much more loudly compared to on the TV when you usually have some fake crowd noise. It would just blend into the background. But when you're actually there, you can hear everything. And I spoke to um, one of the commentators afterwards and I was like, is that a Birmingham director? And, and he said who it was and it, it was him. And he had it on his microphone all the way through the game. He could keep hearing this Birmingham director absolutely screaming abuse at the referee. That is not supposed to happen. It's really not. And you can be in danger of influencing a game. So I'm a little surprised we haven't heard more about it publicly on media as to this sort of stuff that's going on. And it shouldn't really be up to stewards to have to go and ask them to sit down and stop screaming abuse at the referee. It should be taken a little bit higher anyway. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Just to kind of go back on the the sort of intensity and aggression that we were talking about. Wolves haven't been showing this recently. I know an important point to make that they won 52% of their tackles against Leeds, which is the highest percentage they've won in a game since the Albion game, which kind of suggests, you know, an intense match. By comparison, they won 11% of their tackles at St Mary's a few days earlier. I think they only won four tackles in the first half. No aggression to speak of whatsoever. Um, it was something Ian, Ian Wright picked up on on match of the day. But, you know, we could see it for ourselves in the first half. They just weren't putting the tackles in. And I'm sure Nuno was furious about that. But good to see that back. The numbers do kind of reflect an old school Wolves performance, you know, that the passes attempted was way down at 308 passes attempted, which is roughly half the number they had against Arsenal. I know there was a lot late on against nine men, but but they do roughly average about 400, 450 attempted passes a game. So for that to really be down kind of shows that they were willing to let Leeds have possession. Their possession was down at 42%, which is their second lowest for a home game this season. Um, the other being Man City, which was their first home game, you know, way back in September. So, and it was similar at Ellen Road. They only had 33% possession at Ellen Road. So it's a similar game plan, as Connor Cody referred to afterwards, you know, to let Leeds have the ball, but keep a rigid shape at the back and reduce the number of open play chances that Leeds have, because we know that that's a great strength of theirs. So set pieces were the main problem. But as far as open play, I thought Wolves got their game plan um, spot on. And one more thing to mention is that they had two shots from counterattacks. And that doesn't sound a lot, but Wolves are the king of counterattacks. They're the kings of fast breaks. Um, they've topped the charts for shots from fast breaks, i.e. counterattacks, for the last two seasons. They have more than anybody else. Interestingly, in the last few weeks, they've had one shot from a fast break um, since match day 13, which was Chelsea at home in December. So since Chelsea at home in December, they've had one shot from a counterattack. That was against Chelsea away, which was the netto chance, I believe. And the, but anyway, they had two against Leeds. And that is their forte, really. I mean, they had five against Sheffield United on the opening day of the season when everyone remembers how good they were on the break. But they've really gone away from that in the last few weeks. So it's interesting to note that statistically, this is a very similar performance to what you call a classic kind of Wolves display under Nuno. Interesting, because when we think of the fast counter-attacks, or I personally think of Diogo Jota, and it doesn't feel as though they've done that anywhere near as much or as effectively in his absence. So if they are getting back to that in his absence, that's fantastic. I mean, Wolves are fortunate, I guess, that Calvin Phillips wasn't fit because, I mean, 
I'm afraid I don't have the graphic to hand, but there was one that came up on BT with some vastly contrasting win rate, stroke, defeat rate with Calvin Phillips in or out of the side. So that certainly played into their hands, although Shackleton uh, did a good job, but they're not the same side when they don't have Calvin Phillips. But in terms of, of Wolves, their game management was so much better in this game. Something we've been critical of many times when, are they a bit too nice? Do they not quite have the steely determination to do what it takes to see a game through? And um, not necessarily advocating time-wasting. I know Neto got booked for it from a corner saying the wall wasn't 10 yards back, etc. But they were a lot more conscious that they had to do what it took and not necessarily attack and put the ball into the box when they quite fancied it uh, for 2-0 instead of just keeping it tight at the end. Yeah, hence why Victor Orta was so annoyed at full time. But, you know, we don't mind that really if it means Wolves have won. And yeah, 87th minute onwards, they were trying to keep it in the corner. But uh, that, that, that's fine. They saw it through with, with relatively no alarms, I don't think, in stoppage time. So, so yeah, also just one more point to make on the counter-attacks. I think Jimenez's, Jimenez's absence is key to that because they do try and counter-attack. You know, watch them every game, try and do it. But their runs are a little bit more directionless. And a, if you haven't got anyone holding the ball up, to start the counter-attack, then you're going to get nowhere. Uh, Jimenez is, is crucial to that. Um, and I think we'll see, I think do think we'll see more of that from William Jose in the coming weeks. I know he hasn't scored yet, but he's been playing pretty well. He has Connor Cody on Wolves TV afterwards, says William gives us so much, he holds it up. What he brings to our game is brilliant. So hopefully that goal will come soon. But most important thing, he's helping the team no end. We try to play out from the back, but you can go a little longer to him. So with him in the side is a big help. He takes it down with his chest. He's big and strong. He's a brilliant lad and he's learning. I think you can see he's learning with every game. I mean, it would help Willian Jose if maybe Pedro Neto, <laughs> Neto could find him right in front of goal. You know, one of the last two occasions. I mean, the last one you can't blame him because he scored a wonder goal at Southampton by not passing to him. But this time he had his mum on his shoulder, didn't he? Saying, shoot, shoot. When actually William Jose's mum was thinking, no, pass it. Yeah, ab- absolutely. He doesn't, he doesn't look like he's, um, he doesn't look like he's short on confidence, William Jose. And he's, it is, I don't think he's, he hasn't really missed many big chances since that Palace game when he had a couple. Um, so o- otherwise, it's just, bit, it's just about getting in the right positions for him, really. But like I said last week, we, we are asking a lot of him to be all things to all men and, and to be that link-up play and strength and winning headers and playing in Neto and Traore and to score goals as well. It just shows you how amazing Raul Jimenez is for me because he can do all that. Absolutely. I think we should give a bit of credit as well to Adama Traore because there's so much talk about fortune. Yes, we, we both absolutely accept Wolves had fortune in this game in a way that they haven't in many others. You know, with the offside, there didn't look to be a huge amount in it. The fact it was technically an own goal, of course it was. But when you look at where Adama Traore picked up the ball and you just freeze frame it there, so on the left-hand side with so, so much work to do and his turn and his power and his pace and his skill to shoot from that distance. And it was so so not far away from just hitting the underside of the bar and going in. And yes, it was in their favour that it came out and hit the keeper, but he still deserves a huge amount of credit for a player who hasn't scored in the league since December 2019. Well, he doesn't shoot a lot. We don't see him shoot, really, because he's often... Can't do when you're at the corner flag, though, isn't it? Well, exactly. Until the last until the last game and a half, he's on, he's on the right wing and he heads for the byline every time. We don't see him shoot. When we do see him shoot, I mean, that Palace game, remember in the FA Cup, when he scored with his left foot, his weaker foot... That was a right thunderbolt. So yeah, this is this is good. I, th- I think the inverted wingers does show real promise. More so in Neto's case, I have to say. Traore, yes for the goal, but he wasn't as effective over 90 minutes. I think Neto looks far more comfortable on the right. He can use his right foot for starters. He can put in a cross with his right foot first time Neto can. 
I think Neto's right foot is stronger than Traore's left, probably. Traore doesn't look comfortable going to the byline on his left foot, so he's cutting his side every time. The the big thing for me is, is partnerships here. Neto and Semedo looks like a really promising partnership. Semedo, very natural and comfortable at overlapping uh, with, his, with his great pace, good dribble, very good dribbling ability as well. And Neto equally looks very comfortable cutting inside. It looks very natural in that as well. You compared him to Ian Robin, and I know what you mean in, in the kind of style. Very, very close control, sloped shoulders, cutting in on his left and having a shot is very similar. Troyore, like I said, less so. And him and Johnny's partnership needs a bit of work. That's fair enough for me because Johnny is not ready to bomb up and down the, the, the flank for 90 minutes yet, you know, with his fitness. And Traore, I, has he played on the left much in his career? I don't think so and it doesn't look like it. So that might take a bit of time. But certainly the inverted wingers, in terms of shots and creativity and the balance of the team, it, it does look good to me. Yeah, and the fact that Traore has that power and the fact that he can he can negotiate himself a position uh, in field on his right foot, whereas previously, if he came in field to cause a bit more hassle for the defenders, then invariably he'd be on his left foot and he, or in a more central position. It was hard to get his shots away, so positionally it just didn't quite work out for him. But we'll talk to Matty Jarvis about this precise issue uh, in a moment, something he knows all about. But in terms of a downside was Marcel... Yeah, Nuno said afterwards he felt something. Obviously, he came on as a substitute, um, pre-planned for Johnny. He felt something and he wasn't able to proceed. You really feel sorry for the lad, not least the fact that it was his 32nd birthday, but the fact that it's not his problem that he keeps getting injured. But in terms of next season, you just think that's probably going to count against him in terms of what Wolves actually need in that position. It's not his problem that he keeps getting injured, but it but it's he's, it's happened throughout his career, really. So I know he was a low-risk signing at £2 million. So I guess you can't have a go at the club too much, but we equally shouldn't be surprised that he, that he keeps getting injured because that's just the way it's been throughout his career. So that's an issue for the summer because you're going to spend £20 million on eight Nori. I think that's very much uh, in the balance, really. I think he's got huge potential as an all-round left wing-back, um, but that's a lot of money. And with Marcel, yeah, he's, he's just far too injury-prone, but... Johnny's the kind of guy that plays 90 minutes week after week normally. So as long as he can kind of continue his recovery from his ACL with, with no complications, then you'd expect he's going to be first choice pretty much week after week next season, especially if they're not in Europe. Um, um, but they do have a decision to make on, on the backup because strengths and weaknesses for Marcel and Anait Nori. Let's talk about Nelson Semedo now because there are certainly strengths and weaknesses on that side. A lot of people saying that Semedo had his best game in a Wolves shirt against Leeds. He certainly does look to have improved. We've been critical of his defending and concentration levels at times for a player who really should be approaching his peak and having played at the very top with Barcelona. So it's not like he's a young kid coming through. Do you think he's improving and on what front and what does he still need to do? I, I, I do think he is improving. I think I think it's taken him a while to get used to the intensity of the league. And I asked Nuno about this after, after the Leeds game because Nuno was quite critical of him um, about six weeks after he joined. Again, I asked him about him then and he said, do you know what, he has struggled. And he says the Premier League is probably one of the hardest to get used to really um, in terms of, it. He, he says it's like playing in the Champions League every week in terms of the strength of opposition week after week. So um, I do think he has improved. I mean, a, a couple of really interesting stats to point out on Semedo. One is the amount of dribbles he completes is the most by a defender in the Premier League by distance. So he's completed 47 dribbles this season. 
The next highest is Cancelo from Man City on 35. So he's way clear in terms of the, the dribbles he completes per game. That's not attempted dribbles, that's completed. So it's effective play down the right wing. But then also defensively, he's fifth in the league for defenders for tackles one, um, which is 34. So ahead of him, you've got Liam Cooper, James Justin, Carl Walker-Peters and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So he's in good company there and it kind of reflects the kind of player he is really. All action, lots of pace, more tackles because maybe he's finds himself slightly out of position sometimes because he's so attack-minded. But there's a really good player in there and um, I think it's good for him that there are no fans in at the moment because you know he would have got a bit of stick for some of the mistakes he's been making. But hopefully the last three months of the season he can generate some consistency really adapt and get used to the league, which, which I believe that he is, um, and become the player that Wolves have paid such a lot of money for because it's been a really ropey start. But um, in terms of his levels of concentration, he's definitely improved. And I think in terms of attacking, he's getting there. He got in two really good positions against Leeds. Um, probably should have done better with one shot. He probably should have scored. Um, once he kind of starts adding goals and assists, which I really think he can, then he's going to be a decent player, I think. I'm definitely feeling more positive about him now. Yeah, so the key thing is you're seeing signs of improvement. That's what you want, isn't it? Because, you know, the concentration level, say, of, um, of the Theo Walcott goal at Molyneux for, for Southampton, and, and there have been a few... The Villa, the Villa penalty as well. Yeah, well, goodness, yeah. And Oh, yes, if he wants to um, make up for that in a couple of weeks' time. And the, Ars- the Arsenal goal, when he... I can't remember who was it, Saka, when he lost him three times for the Arsenal yeah. goal at Molyneux. Yeah, and even Stuart Armstrong, uh, just letting him go, just barely dangle out a foot at the week. But these are all things you can work on. These these are not things that you you can either do or you can't. I mean, these are absolute basic things that you just need to sharpen up on. And um, Can you just remind us of the the breakdown in fees? Because we, we've often talked about, does he look like a £37 million player? But that's probably really unfair when you think about it because Wolves have to win the Champions League or something for, for them to actually pay that. Do you remember what he was actually nailed on to, to actually cost and what the add-ons are? Yeah, I don't know the 100% deals of the specifics, but what I was told was it won't reach 37 million because, as you say, I think one one of the stipulations for the add-ons was um, was winning a European competition. So that's extremely unlikely to happen, you would say. So it's 27. I was told quickly rising to 29, which I think is based on just a small number of appearances, um, but then quite a few further add-ons after that. And like I said, it's very unlikely to actually reach 37. But it's certainly... 29 slash, slash 30 is, is, is what they've paid for him. Yeah, so Barcelona will be hoping that we enter the Anglo-Italian Cup and win that, and then they might get their £37 million because they didn't say which European competition. <laughs> yeah, let's get Ascoli yeah. at Molyneux for... <laughs> Those are the days. <laughs> Good. Oliver Bierhoff, let's get him back. Oh, yeah. Now, as promised, let's hear from Wolves' rising superstar from Portugal, who's not yet 21, but is attracting all sorts of attention. And first, Tim puts him in, in a great mood by asking him about some big goals that were ruled out last season. L- last season, your reputation was the unluckiest player in England because she scored those goals at, <laughs> at Anfield and at Old Trafford. <laughs> Um, so must, I, I remember at Anfield when you when you scored the big celebration and the shots. <laughs> oh my friend, I was so upset because <laughs> the goal was allowed when Van Dijk gave with a hand and they gave goal. My friend, I was so happy to score the goal and then I saw Cody running in my bags and we doing like. <laughs> and then I saw and the goal was disallowed. I was so upset, my friend. And then oh, we had we had Leicester. It was a cross of mine that was uh, offside. That I think it was. Yeah, of course, before. yeah. And then I had in Manchester. Uh, I scored a goal in Old Trafford uh, for the FA Cup, if I remember. 
Well, very unlucky, my friend. Let's you must be thinking, oh, come on, man. <laughs> Just give me a break. For example, with, with Southampton, I scored the goal. And then yeah, I, yeah. I, I grabbed the ball and Joe Moting was like, Neto, come on. And I say, it's not offside. We go, we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. He's a happy chap, isn't he? He's a happy person. He's so lovely to listen to. Now, he's moved to Wolverhampton Lockstock with his parents. So so they're living at home with him, although he gets to do his own thing. And, and he hasn't learned to drive yet, he said in your piece. And, and so he gets a lift to Compton training ground every week. But it, he maybe needs to listen to his mother more, doesn't he, Tim? Because he told you about his mother's positive influence on him. The focus that I have on on, on the game and the way that I love the game is because my mother, before the game, she always sent me a message that she say, shine like you always do, but enjoy what you are doing, you know? That is the thing that they put me on my mind since I was... If I'm not playing for, for joy, I'm not doing here anything, you know? So yeah. it's one of the things that they make me so important. Do you still live with them as well? Yeah, they they still here with me uh, because I think that uh, now with the uh, they since I've gone to Italy, it's like uh, how I say, I create this routine, you know, to arrive home, for example, to after the training. Sometimes my mom cook for me. I, I almost eat here all days, but sometimes I like to go home to be with them, and uh, uh, how I say. I arrive home and I feel like I want to stay there, you know, if I was here alone, I didn't have anyone, I was yeah. boring, you know, but sometimes I take time with my parents and with my father to, sometimes we are seeing football and always laughing, you know, and it's very good to stay at home with them and I think it's very important. So you play for a big Premier League team, uh, Wolves scoring goals and then what, you get you go home and do they tell you to go to bed by 11 o'clock? <laughs> ah, no, no, this no. This they say that is my how I say, they they, I I live by my home. It's like I live by my home, you know. But then I have them to help me, and of course that they said, uh, for example, to to come to training. I don't have drive lessons yet, because right. when I has gone to Italy, has gone too early. My friend, they ask how it's possible that you don't have drive lessons. I say I have gone too early. Oh, I will take. I don't know how to speak Italian. And now with the with England, they said, ah, you take now, you speak very good English. And I said, but I don't know the terms. If you speak wheels or the things that you have to, to arrange the wheels, oh, I say, I don't know what to say. So I'm waiting to go to Portugal. But uh, from your question, how I say, they don't say like a lot. Sometimes I'm playing PlayStation after the games, I, I can't sleep. And I play PlayStation till, I don't know, two or three, because I can't sleep. And they don't say anything. They do like... Of course, I say to be to be careful what what I do, you know, but they don't yeah. let, say like go to bed at ten o'clock. Of course not. They don't say that. <laughs> That's but good. My, my, but my mom is always saying when I don't shoot when a situation, she said you have to shoot. She's <laughs> always saying you have to shoot, and I say, mom, sometimes I am not like always shooting. She said you have to shoot. I don't care. <laughs> And I said, oh. and sometimes I'd be pissed with her because I said, you don't understand what you are saying, you know. But uh, it's so funny, my friend, it's so funny. I think we should get Neto's mum on next week. I don't know what her English is like, but it's probably better than ours. But um, but what a lovely lad. And you sound like you thoroughly enjoyed your time talking to him. And he, he's not clearly not one of these lads who thinks he's going to get caught out by the media. And he's just happy to let his personality shine, which we'd love to hear him a lot more footballers all over the world, not Wolves ones, but just to not have that that fear of the media and, and to have to bat every question away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for, for, a, for a 20-year-old kid 
and English isn't his first language. I mean, it was just a fantastic interview. I spent half an hour in his company. Obviously, it was on Zoom because, you know, we're not obviously not meeting people face-to-face at the moment. Um, but I thought it was important to put put some screenshots of his little face into the um, into the article just to kind of get across, you know, the, the joy and the enthusiasm and the energy. I mean, he was bouncing around the screen on Zoom. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. Um, I mean, it's interesting that, that, yeah, that article came out last week about and and the the kind of key takeaway from it and the headline was about his mom telling him to shoot and then against Leeds he has the most shots he's ever had in a Premier League game <laughs> so I don't know if that was a coincidence or not but it's certainly it's certainly got a bit of attention and I know he I know he I presume he's well I think he's seen it on Twitter um, so yeah he had five shots against Leeds the most he's ever had. Um, but yeah it was a great interview I mean we spoke about so much we spoke about what's behind his improvement and he says his physical improvement is a key thing about that and he said in the first lockdown he really worked on his on his physique and he thinks that's made a big difference Uh, we talked about Ronaldo being his idol um, and of course he was called up to Portugal this season and Ronaldo's an idol for so many Portuguese players and now Neto's you know in the same squad as him and you can imagine he was so happy about that and also uh, about the sports he could have played uh, he nearly he came pretty close to playing roller hockey um, as as his professional sport, Google it if if you've never heard of it, which I hadn't. Um, and he did a lot of swimming as well. And you've he, never um, heard of roller hockey? No, no. Behave. No, I've heard of ice hockey and rollerblading. You've had a sheltered but... life. <laughs> there's... You've never heard of roller I mean, hockey. No, I, I mean, are there many roller roller hockey rinks in Wolverhampton? Um, I I haven't seen any. It's just not not something I've ever come across. Blimey. Um, <laughs> He's a travel. Have you ever left the West Midlands apart from for football? Um, so he was... <laughs> Ibiza with your he mates. Was, he was great. He was great on Connor Cody as well. I saw you, you tweet out the quote from that. It was brilliant. So if you haven't read it, I would urge you to do so. And I've got to say thanks to Jack Walker at Wolves for facilitating it after I pestered him pretty much every day for about three months to get this interview done because I knew I knew how good Neto was going to be. I was very keen to chat to him. So um, So he was great. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's great. It was really good to hear from him. And probably an example of how it is a good thing to hear from a player. I mean, we don't get to hear from from too many on broadcast, but we know that they have lots of commitments with sponsors and with foreign media that we don't necessarily get to hear from here. But uh, but yeah, that was certainly a good one. So well done you bringing out the best in him there. Let's bring in now a former Wolves player, former Wolves and England winger, Matt Jarvis now, fresh from his training session at Woking. Hi, Matt. Hello, how are we doing? Well, thank you. Inverted wingers, this is your specialist subject, of course. <laughs> and you may well have seen in the second half at Southampton that it seems to have been a turning point in Wolf season. And it's, it's tactically unclogged the pipes, so to speak. So, I mean, did it occur to you before that perhaps they should have tried it? Um, the, the thing is, everyone's sort of trying different ways to, to get that attacking you know, finesse, I suppose you've got, you know, we Wolves have struggled to, to score a lot of goals this season and, uh, you know, trying something slightly different, it always, always helps. And, you know, when you're looking at Neto, he's been outstanding. He's been the, you know, the massive positive this season. Uh, and for him to, to continue in the form that, he, that he's been doing is, is a massive plus for Wolves going forward. What are the practical differences of playing as a right footer on the left hand side. I think for for me the biggest thing was when I was on the right, on the left, you know, I was dribbling the ball with my right foot because that was my more dominant foot at the time. Um, and then as as you're sizing up your fullback and you went to knock it up the line, my, when you 
push the ball with your right foot up the line to, to have a foot race, you've already had your first stride, if you understand. So when you kick the ball, your, your foot's already gone in front. So you've already had your first stride. So you, you're sort of taking the full back on in a full start, I suppose. So you've already gone past him with your first first touch of the ball and your first stride. Whereas if you're on the other side, you're you're keeping the ball on your right foot. You're having charge. You're knocking it up the line with your right foot. Then you have to have your left foot as your first stride. So you, you've already sort of hopefully gone past him with your first, as you've dragged the ball past him, you've already gone past him and, and you're, you're away. Whereas on your, on your right, you're giving it more of a, a an actual race. So hopefully that makes sense. And you understand that uh, when you're on the opposite side, your dominant leg is already making your first stride. So hopefully that, that means you can get past him a bit quicker. Before the Saints away league game, Karen Carney did a bit of analysis on how Triori and Semedo were getting in each other's way down the right-hand side and it wasn't working for the team. And, and so it proved in that first half before the switch. Can you just explain how it works better for Semedo and for Johnny, it seems, as well as for Neto and Triori to be switching sides? Yeah, I think you know if you look at any player that's you know playing on the opposite side, you're you're always wanting to be able to come inside and either get a shot or a, or a decent cross. But it's, it's eventually it's all aimed towards the goal. Uh, naturally, you want to go on your stronger foot, so you want to be you know driving inside, and it gives the license of Semedo and Johnny to to overlap, which has been a huge, huge positive. Uh, I think that's what what, what worked so well with Matt Doherty when he was there and Johnny. They they just they were the attacking fullbacks that that we know, and I think. Um, I think when you've got two players on the same side that both want to go down the line and you've got the fullbacks that want to overlap, you, you do sort of get in your each other's way or you, you close down the space that the other's trying to attack. So to be able to do that is great. You, you get more attacking play. And um, the thing is as well, everyone expects you to come inside. So then when you've got that license to then chop to go back down the line and and obviously Neto and Traore have got blistering pace to just accelerate past anyone and then it's just your final end product. And, and that's what's been improving. Matt, it's, it's Timmy, mate. You're right. What's um, what's what's the key to it when when you're kind of facing your fullback? Is it really important to keep him guessing? As like, do you go like, do you go to the byline twice in a row and then and then cut back because he's not expecting it? I think that's it. I was just about to say is it's keeping them guessing. You know, you, you first of all, you you know, for me, it was always like, right, I was going to test him out. I was going to knock it down the line and, and use my pace and see what in a foot race, see what was going to go. You know, if I was going to beat him in a foot race, then it was going to be fantastic for me. But if that was a bit more tight, then you've got to be a little bit more clever and you, you fake to go down the line and you, you cut inside and, and you put a cross in or you have a shot. And it's just keeping him guessing and, and um, you know, whatever you mix in your game up to have the positivity to, to either have an end product but also it gives you license to if you've got the overlapping fullbacks you're, you're having 2v1 against your defender is always going to cause some problems so it's it, it's it's about keeping them guessing but also having the the correct outcome whether that's a shot across or a, uh, a pass into the striker do you think it's in your advantage uh, as an attacker to be swapping sides during games as well as, as some wingers tend to do that is always a difficult one for me because I've played my whole career on the left and everyone expects you like go on the other side and you're like yeah I go on the other side it's fine but I know it's just everything's completely opposite and it takes a while to get your feet and your, your mind in the right position to be like right okay I'm on the opposite side I need to do this I need to do that so sometimes it's a bit more difficult but at the same time if you've got players and pace that you know you're looking at Trey or Neto they it doesn't matter where they are they're going to get the ball and they're going to drive at the defenders so again it keeps the defenders guessing it keeps teams work trying to work out how Wolves are going to be playing but ultimately it's about if you're having joy against your fullback 
if Traore is blitzing the left back, then you, you keep him on him. If he's not having as much luck or he's not being in the game as much, then you switch it up and you, you see you try luck down the other side. Who was um who was the best fullback you faced in, in the Premier League, Matt? Was the one who was <laughs> particularly <laughs> adept at reading your mind? See, that's difficult because there's some that I had really like they're they're incredible defenders, um, and some that were just incredible attacking fullbacks and you're just like I don't want to be chasing him down the other end the whole the whole game so it's it's difficult I think um, Zabaleta was always tough when he first come to the Premier League he was like a rash every time you got the ball he was right next to you and he was like trying to get the ball off you straight away it was some others gave you a bit of bit of space to sort of turn and get your head up and, and have a run at them um, and I always had really good battles with Carl Walker because he's rapid but he, he let you have a little bit of a, a gap to go for it and I, I will always try to take it. So it was, it was a good battle. Yes, you love playing Carl Walker. That's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> In terms of um, Wolves' approach recently, I mean, it, it seems clear that, that they do better when they're on the front foot and, and certainly helps their cause and that rare occasion that they score first. How much of a difference does it make to players when you are scoring first in a game rather than thinking oh, the game's going on at nil-nil and, and then you concede a goal and... And mentally, how much harder is it to keep coming back from that if you're in that little run of games when you do that? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want to score first? Everyone says, oh, you know, you scored too early. Well, no, we're 1-0 up. It's a fantastic position to be in. Uh, I think, yeah, as soon as, you, as soon as you score, everyone, you can see everyone's just like, ah, oh, fantastic, right, let's get on the ball, let's pass a bit more. Now we can relax a little bit. I think that's what's, that's what's been tough for Wolves this season and, to be fair, a little bit of last season. You always seem to think that, you know, our Wolves have gone 1-0 down in the first half and you're like, oh, it's OK, they'll, they'll get their way back in, but it's always the second half that they're going to get going you think why make it so hard you can come out the traps you've got players that have got incredible skill pace and you can just get right into their half and, and attack and and defend high up the pitch you know it's, it's really difficult to then keep going from being behind to grinding it out getting yourself back into it and sometimes you just run out of time because yeah the second half everyone wolves been great and it's but you're, you're cutting your time down you've got like 30 minutes 25 minutes to then try and get you know, a goal back and, and other teams are just like okay brilliant we'll sit back we've got 25 minutes we'll sit and defend and we'll grind out a result whereas if you get the first goal it's just it's momentum you can build on it and you can you can really enjoy it I suppose because then other teams have to come out the traps and have to come and attack and Wolves are set up to brilliantly to be able to counter-attack that when you're 1-0 up and teams are trying to, to score that next goal you can just bang get up the other end and you've got players that will really um absolutely terrorised defenders. But why do you think they haven't been doing that and the root of their problems? Do you think it was lack of confidence leading to poor play or poor play leading to loss of confidence? It's a mixture, isn't it? I mean, when when you're out of confidence, it is as a player, you know, I was a massive confidence player. Um, you know, when when you're riding that wave, it's amazing. You know, you, you feel like you can do anything. And the thing that helped me, obviously, was was crowd as well. You know, when you're playing at Molyneux, the, the atmosphere, everyone, as soon as I got the ball, everyone, you could hear everyone going, oh, like... And you, you're like, oh, right, I can't let them down. I've got to go for it now. And you you start taking everyone on. This is it's a different uh, period where there isn't any fans. You've got to do that all yourself. And when when you are sort of either like starting games, you're probably wanting to stay in them or it's a game that you're expected to win or, you, or you're you know, maybe not expected to win. You're trying to stay in games and trying to prolong it. And then you've got players that will be able to hurt them. But it's really difficult to, to mentally go into a game thinking, right, we'll just play it safe 
for the first half and then we'll get going. I think you, mentally you don't give yourself the best opportunity to go and win the game. You, you've got to make sure that you go all out and um, obviously not you know gung-ho, but you've got to go and make sure that you attack attack teams you know you your threat is attacking you know you, you're very very good defensively and you can counterattack but if you can go out in that first half and get a really good start and build on that it's it's a it's a huge opportunity to go and get a win we're well, talking of which they've got newcastle away next and they know that if they lose to wolves on saturday night then they'll drop into the bottom three if fulham win at palace on sunday so with that in mind should wolves go there being positive from the off and try to test their resolve definitely for me there's no there's no other way that Wolves should should go into that game you know you you look they got the first goal against Leeds yes it's so important I think especially off the back of that they've had a good you know good run recently uh, a couple of wins and you there's no reason why they can't go on and just go out and and blitz it from the start with Newcastle I think they've got the players that would definitely hurt them as we say saying about the inverted wingers and you've got fullbacks overlapping Johnny's been a huge plus to get back in uh, back fit and just start to slowly keep going it's it's a it's a really good um, way of looking forward to this next game and getting that you know massive three points I think it will it'll keep the run going as well it would thank you so much Matt Jarvis and now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Thanks again to Matt Jarvis. Picking up on the Newcastle away game on Saturday night, which is on Sky 8 o'clock kickoff. They've lost eight of their last 10 league games. And of course, the fans are fuming with a the manager. They want Steve Bruce to go. But of course, the fans aren't going to be in. Neither is Callum Wilson, who's still out injured. Do you think Wolves will play the same starting lineup three games in a row, Tim? Uh, I don't see why they would change it, really. I think Kilman, Kilman and Saïs is the only one where you'd think maybe a change. Or if Johnny's if Johnny's not fully fit. I mean, Nuno did say, you know, he kind of had to come off against Leeds. But I, I, I think he'll be OK with, with a week between games. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see where he changed it at all. The, the only changes are when Bolly and Pedence come back. And I think there's an argument for Pedence or Traore. Um, and Bolly would come straight back in the team for me for Dendonka, but then where do you move Dendonka? So there are issues on the horizon, but but as um, if it's the same number of players available, I think it's the same team and it's the same approach really as against Leeds. Um, more counter-attacking and more aggression and uh, Newcastle are, are blunt. Um, I mean, you compare them to Leeds in terms of the chances you'd expect Newcastle to create, we should have a far easier afternoon on that front. Um 
but um, yeah, we, we, we've just got to see that same level of, of intensity and creativity and passion uh, as we have done since the half-time at Southampton. If they do that, I can't see anything other than a Wolves win, really, if, if they can reproduce those levels. Because, yeah, as you, as you say, Newcastle... Uh, really not a very effective or poor team and, and heading towards the bottom three as it stands. Well, Newcastle lost 3-1 at Manchester United on Sunday night and our colleague George Colkin said they were decent for 50 minutes but they tired and were ragged by the end. The concern for me, he says, is that if this is the best Newcastle can do without Wilson, then do they have enough to win games? Wolves was always going to be big but it's massive now. So you'd think if Wolves were positive from the off, maybe even score the first goal again, that could dent Newcastle's confidence. And they are putting a lot into pressing in matches, which they don't necessarily have the fitness to do to see it through for 90 minutes, it seems. So that could be uh, the key to success for Wolves. Steve Bruce has said there are six or seven teams in and around it with 13 games to go. I'm sure there's a few looking over their shoulder. And of course, we're one of them. Now on to tweets, Tim. Jay Wilkes asks us, as pleasing as the win was against Leeds, it could have been 3-1 to them and all three goals would have been headers from free kicks, usually conceded by Saiz. Newcastle lumped lots of balls into the box against Manchester United and won't be so wasteful this time. Three converted midfielders in defence for Wolves with a six foot four defender on the bench. Discuss, Tim. Yeah, well, for a start, they miss, they miss Bolly. I mean, he, he's their best player at, at doing that, at winning headers in the box, particularly from, from set pieces, defensive set pieces in particular. Um, Kilman, I mean, Saiz is, is a better all-round player, I think, at this moment in time, but he does lose a lot of headers in the box and he does give away free kicks, as we know. So I thought Kilman was unlucky to lose his place, actually. Um, he didn't necessarily have a bad game. Um, I just think Nuno was probably looking at more experience as, as he looks for his team to show some consistency. And, you know, we know Saiz has been there and done it. So Kilman or Saiz, it's a tough one. I'd probably have Kilman in there for now because I didn't think he'd done anything wrong. And Wolves' weakness at this moment in time is defensive set pieces, of which he offers uh, more strength in the air than Saiz. Chris George, why are our free kicks so poor? Every time Leeds had a free kick, they almost scored. That was Rafinha. He was fabulous. Following Neto's performance, should all the players' mums be drafted into the coaching team? Um, I mean, interestingly, they are one, two, three, four, five. They're sixth in the league for chances created from set plays this season. I mean, that's that's corners and free kicks. And looking at Leeds, they are third in the table. So, yeah. Only three more than Wolves, though, in terms of chances created this season. Matinho's deliveries on the whole are very, very good. And they've kind of ditched the short corners for now, which wasn't creating too many chances for them. So, yeah, I thought just on the night, the the high defensive line was was the issue for Wolves. I don't know why they kept doing it from from Leeds' free kicks. And it caused them a spot of bother that Patricio had to get them out of. But generally, in terms of creating chances for set plays, uh, they're pretty good. I beat the Wolves. If Wolves were to score more points than last season, which is perfectly feasible, but finish in a lower league position, would you consider the season to be a success or a step back? Uh, I mean that's their that's been their target the last two seasons has to been to earn more points than the season before and show that progress. So we know they've finished seventh twice in a row. They got fifty seven points in the first season back in the Premier League, and then they got fifty nine last year. So to hit fifty nine or more again from their last thirteen games. They've got to get a bit of quick maths here. But uh, from the last thirteen games, they've got to get twenty seven points to beat last season's target. So that's two points a game. That's better form than they've shown already this season. So they are going to have to go some, 
to improve on their points tally. If they do that, even if they finish 8th or ninth, I think that's been a successful season. Um, you can't really ask for much more than that, especially with all the problems that they've had. No Jimenez, no pre-season, etc. Um, if they were to go on a bit of a run now and, and eclipse last season's points total, that that'd be, yeah, that'd be a massive success for me, considering uh, what's happened this year. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Jack Crutchley, when Pedence is back, does he play? If so, in place of whom? Also, I know he was only on for a few minutes, but Fabio looked a lot more comfortable coming onto the pitch when we were not chasing a game. Is this how we can see the best out of him, or was it because leads were pushed up? No, he, he, he did look better, and I think the spotlight's been taken off him a little bit by um, by William Jose coming in, which will which will help. And you know, nobody's really talking about Fabio Silva at the moment, and he was very much centre of attention a few weeks ago, which I don't think suits him. Certainly, when he's not scoring. Um, so yeah, and, and Pedence, it's Pedence or Traore for me. I mean, you don't leave Neto out of this team and I don't think you change formation either at this moment in time, given the problems that that's caused. So uh, I like the idea of Pedence cutting in. Uh, he's comfortable in those areas of the field. You know, he's traditionally played as a 10. So um, great to have those two options. And I, I can see Pedence probably coming in for Traore uh, when he's fully fit, but that's going to be a little while off now. Okay, on to any other business. Tim, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to be a good time to have a cake-baking business in Compton because Wolves have got at least eight first-team birthdays in the space of a month. Nine in five weeks, if you include Hoover. I did, did not you notice that, no. <laughs> did you notice every two minutes, Wolves' Twitter feed saying, happy birthday to so-and-so. I was like, what's going on? So they had Nuno and Adama on the 25th of January, both the same day. Then Bolly Marcel, Vitinha, Rui Patricio, and then Cody this Thursday, with Johnny Neto, Neves and Saiz all coming up shortly too. It's just a very random observation. That's a lot of first-team birthdays in the space of a few It's weeks. the kind of thing that only you would notice, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing it's it with us all. Most useless stat of the day, folks, right there. <laughs> now, I've got a couple of shout-outs. Well, I'd like to give a shout-out to a regular listener, Ellen, who's been having a very tough time of things recently for various reasons. So thank you for listening to us, Ellen, and we hope very much that things are improving for you in the way that they're improving for the Wolves. And also a super positive shout for 11-year-old Wolves fan, William Jones, who's being incredibly brave despite spending a lot of time at Birmingham Children's Hospital being treated for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's been through a great deal. He's lost his hair now, but it will grow back. And he's been absolutely amazing. And he's going to come through in superhero style. He adores Adama Traore, Ruben Neves and Raul Jimenez, amongst other players. So keep smiling, William. You're a top lad. And I hope you enjoy the rest of Wolves' season. Now, you can sign up to The Athletic and pay half the full annual subscription. That is less than a pound a week for an entire year, but only until this Thursday, 25th of February. So go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod and you can listen to the pod without any adverts via the app. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Jackie. See you next week. See you next Tuesday morning. Bye for now. The Athletic.